Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Listeners, this is your host, Mike. We appreciate all of you tuning into this podcast, and I hope your modeling mojo is strong. Mine sure has been, but I'm trying to play catch up with Dave, who's currently up on me two to one. So let's get into what we've been up to with episode 15 of Plastic Model Mojo. How's it going tonight, Dave? Not too bad, Mike. Not too bad. How are you doing? Oh, man, my mojo has been on fire coming out of the weekend. So uh... I know. I was jealous. Uh, I, I wish I'd had... Uh... Uh, quite the modeling weekend you did. I told you, Drain. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, did, it didn't. It didn't in Louisville. I mean, it's what a difference sixty miles makes. So I ended up doing yard work all weekend. So I didn't get to take advantage of the of the uh, uh, inclement weather modeling session that you did, and you made you made the most of it. Well, the days are getting shorter now, so it'll be dark, and you won't have to do yard work after dark unless you're one of those guys yeah no no <laughs> so what so micah what's your modeling fluid of choice tonight and what have you been listening to while you modeled oh uh, okay after the little stone hammer diversion i'm uh back to my old standby um just the bullet standard orange label again it's uh We've already talked about it, but that's what I'm drinking tonight, so I won't go into sure. too much detail about it. But other than uh, unlike last episodes, this one is highly recommended. Well, what uh, while you've been drinking that, uh, what what has what have you been listening to that inspired all that great modeling? Uh, let me think. It was a little bit of a classical piano, and then some uh, some more new wave from the '80s. Oh, okay. Okay, well, obviously New Wave agrees with you, or at least agrees with your catapult. <laughs> I think so. Well, what are, what are you enjoying tonight? Well, <laughs> as you can tell, I'm I'm uh, still doing beer rather than bourbon lately. And uh, I don't know, do you ever buy a beer or a bourbon, for that matter, based on the label of the, of the uh, drink or the name of it? Beer sometimes, bourbon never. I have this theory about liquor that the fancier the bottle, the crappier what's inside of it. <laughs> well, I'd be hard-pressed to disagree with that. Well, Mike, you may remember Fall City beer. from yes. uh, It was brewed here in Louisville uh, up until the late 70s, early 80s. It was the local mass market brewery, and they made classic Budweiser uh, style American ale beer. Well, the brand has been revived in, uh, in Louisville uh, by a microbrewery. Um, it's They bought the name Fall City Brewing Company. And uh, tonight I'm having their English style pale ale. And the entire reason I bought it was the label on the beer and uh we'll post a picture of it so everybody can see it but uh this is my actual first taste of it it tastes it's not bad it's it's 
got a little bit of hop or bitter on the back end. It's about 5% alcohol. And uh, it's first impression, first sip, not bad. But uh, I'll keep you updated as we record the episode and I get a little further into it. Well, while that's the topic, um, we won't get too far into it. But I'm just curious, do they make a straight up filtered pills like Fall City used to be? They do have they they do have a a straight up American ale. Uh, they also have a great one called Hipster Repellent IPA, um, <laughs> and they make a couple of others. It's like like a lot of these microbreweries, they have five or six. You know, they'll do an India Pale Ale, an American Ale, an English Ale, etc. Uh, I love hip, Hipster Repellent IPA is a great name, but. Uh, I bought this English style pale ale completely based on the label and the art on the can. So uh, we'll post that in the, in the, uh, on the Facebook page in the uh, episode with the episode. So everybody can see why, uh, why this particular can was attractive to me. And like I said, as we go on, I'll let you know how the beer is. All right, man. Well, we got a boatload of listener mail. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, first I'll kill a couple here off with, uh, with, with one, um, our friend Ian McCauley up in Ottawa. And then, uh, Terry Wilkinson from, uh, Osceola Mills, Pennsylvania. Uh, both these gentlemen acted on our Zim brush recommendation. Both had exemplary service from, Zim brushes and both were pleased with the final delivery of the product. So I think we did good there. Yeah, I, I agree. I, 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 as a matter of fact, I used my, uh, several of my Zim brushes when I was finishing up uh, the weathering on the MIG and there's nothing that dissuades me that those aren't good value for the money. Well, I'm going to be ordering some more. I need a few different styles now that I'm satisfied they're going to be. A quality, quality item. We'll have to go together on that. Yeah, I don't need 50 again this time, but... <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, those guys both came via Facebook, and also this one does. It's a Jeff, uh, Jeff Mathis. Hey, guys, just listened for the first time after a recommendation from a friend. Loved it. You'll be accompanying me on a few bills, to say the least. I'm chiming in because I was Ausverks. Now, if you remember, um, we talked about Ausverk's designs back during, I can't remember if it was the PE episode or the Tools of the Trade episode, but uh, it was a photo etch tool. Oh, yeah, I remember it. Uh, and he says he has to say he enjoys the mention. You hit upon exactly what I, was, what I thought regarding a PE tool. Uh, what about a handheld version of a brake? And with brake, he means a bending brake, like it's used to form sheet metal in a, in a machine shop. I was watching a guy bending aluminum siding and the light bulb went off. Took the idea to a good friend who's an engineer and as well as a modeler and the rest is history. While it was wildly popular, it became a nightmare to produce with each new run. And since there was more profit margin with one t-shirt, he also sold custom t-shirts, armor themed t-shirts, more profit margin with one t-shirt than any fender bender sold. It just wasn't worth the hassle. Well, you're lucky you have one. Yeah, I do. I imagine they're pretty hard to come by at this point. <laughs> well, maybe if enough of our listeners start clamoring for it, we can get him to restart production. 
Uh, I wouldn't count on it. It sounds like he's done with it. <laughs> Jeez, hard to believe. <laughs> okay, this this one's from our, our pet peeve episode. Uh, Scott Gentry, and I did not get a... Yes, he's from somewhere in Utah. I'm not sure sure yet, sure, sure where. Uh, Scott says, episode 14 was great. Pet peeve you missed. Manufacturers are still mold aircraft wheels and tires and tank barrels and halves. It's 2020 and there's no reason for it. Come on, man. <laughs> I like well, that. I, well, I can tell. I mean, he, he needs to avoid mini art if he doesn't want round stuff molded in two halves. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now, in defense of some of the manufacturers, part of the reason larger aircraft wheels aren't molded as a single piece is they're just too thick. Yeah. And, and they'll, 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 they'll shrink and you'll get sink marks in them. Yeah. So that's when they mold it in two halves, they can core out the backside and make them hollow and you don't have that problem, but. And saves them a little plastic. And saves them a little plastic. <laughs> Who else we got? Damien Rigby from Melbourne, Victoria down in Australia. I'm sure he's friends with the on the bench guys. Of course it's winter down there and he makes that point. A cold winter night down under, bench time with you guys and the OTB crew in the background and a good Aussie Shiraz in the foreground. Sounds sounds good to me. Yeah. Um, after many years of building 148th World War II aircraft, I'm a bit on a car binge at the moment, mostly 50s and 60s Chevy muscle cars. My pet peeve is the fact that clear parts only fit nicely maybe one out of 10 kits. Actually, a pet peeve and a small business prospect. Why can't kit manufacturers manage to make decent clear sprues? They're ridiculously thick and don't even go close to fitting neatly. And then he goes on to ask why some aftermarket person hasn't seized on this opportunity. Um, that's a good question. Yeah. I, I, my my gut feel is that the clear styrene in a kit is pure polystyrene. There's no colorant. There's no other fillers in it at all. Right. And it's it's probably harder to manage than a than a styrene that's got some fillers in it. Now I'm just talking from my limited experience, but there's probably a reason. You know, there are it it's because it has no other material in it. It's usually more brittle than the other plastic in the kit, and it's probably hard to get the parameters right to make sure it's clear and not cloudy or have swirls in it or or whatever. But you know, the aftermarket thing's a good question. You know, there's people out there making vac canopy aftermarket, but that's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, I've seen some really sweet, uh, like vacuum cast clear resin canopies before. Yeah. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, uh, I echo your, your sentiments regarding clear, the clear polystyrene. It is more brittle. It's hard to mold very thin, whereas... We've had great advances in technology for molding so much more finer parts in the in the regular kit parts, but the there doesn't seem to have been, or just recently, until just recently, there doesn't seem to be this have been the same advancement in regard to uh, clear parts. Now, I will tell you that. Uh, one or two of the latest items from Arma uh, out of Poland, uh, their clear parts have been 
admirably thin for clear parts. They're still not as 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 fine as uh, a regular styrene piece, uh, you know, colored kit part. But uh, uh, there, it seems like they're starting to make some advances. Uh, you know, mentioning what you said about vacuforms, it would seem to me that that is definitely an area that's being missed because unlike vacuform canopies, which can be kind of difficult to get off the, uh, you know, to cut around and stuff like that, it seems to me like vacuform windshields uh, and vacuform car windows would be much easier to cut out um, given the way they drop into uh uh, you know the the windshield or the back window of a of a car chassis. So I am kind of surprised that no one has ever started doing that. At least that I know of. If if somebody's out there who who's heard of that being done uh, commercially, I'd love to know about it. Now another thing that came into my mind reading his email that I want to mention is we've expended a lot of hot air on the virtues of. Uh, crossing genre have you ever done a car or a truck i have done one car in my life as you know uh i own a 1994 toyota supra twin turbo and tamiya makes an absolutely beautiful kit of that car and uh, not la- not long after i acquired the actual car i acquired a kit of it and built it up as as the car that i bought and owned so uh, that's the one and only car kit that I've built since I've been back into modeling. Well, I have not and haven't had much of an urge to go that way yet, but who knows? I don't know if you noticed on our uh, on the MMCL Facebook page, uh, Brian, who's the proprietor of Scale Reproductions, who's uh, kind of gotten his modeling mojo back, he just did his first foray into cars and built a uh, built a car kit, and it came out beautifully. We heard from uh, Stephen Lee last time, and he, he's he's come back and lets us know he's from Washington D.C. area. And he sent me a, a lengthy one here. I'm going to pick and choose, Stephen. So I apologize for that. But there, <laughs> uh, one thing he mentions is he he's been going back through all our episodes, so he's playing catch up like we all do when we find a new podcast. He wholeheartedly agrees with you, Dave, that on the expensive God hand or space sprue cutters says they'll yep. change your life. They will. I'll have to look into that. I haven't, haven't pulled, haven't pulled a trigger on that yet. Well, you got to get your thinner line cutter yet, but first it's got to arrive. Checks in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's got a modeling disaster here. I'm going to share because it's, it's, it's pretty funny. Never seat, never solder while seated in athletic shorts. Oh, ouch. <laughs> uh, this gets better. Especially those short athletic Tom and Finland style shorts we actually wore in the 70s and 80s. Ooh. Um, uh, folks just got to go Google Tom of Finland. I'm not going to get into that, but uh, <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty funny. Um, hot solder is uncomfortable on your hands. Worse on other more sensitive parts of your body. Ouch. I wonder if right or left was hanging out of the Tom style style shorts. (laughs) 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 
He's also got some good comments about 72nd scale armor. He says we need a modern uh, M113 family of vehicles. He is absolutely correct. And another another good one here is he 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 feels that 72nd scale armor in general is un, is underrated especially in North America. He thinks it's a subgenre where the Payne Verlinden furlough impressionistic style still thrives and the pressure to pile on baroque detail and technique is lower and i like that term that's a good term for some of this stuff baroque 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 modeling Uh, we're raising the iq of modelers everywhere maybe not with the modeling fluid recommendations yeah well we'll see maybe we're fighting a a (laughs) give or take there but anyway yeah that's some uh well hang on modeling fluid of choice speaking of such burley oak bunker c porter and here's here's when we know Duclaw, Sweet Baby Jesus, Porter. Yep. That's Great. Good, that's good stuff. I have I have had that stuff, and it goes really well if you're up there in Southern Maryland and you're picking a bushel of crabs and drinking drinking Sweet Baby Jesus. It's a, it's a good porter. Adam Greenwald's back again. Where's he from? Newcastle in the United Kingdom. Oh, his pet peeves, photo etch. Welcome to the club. <laughs> Two-dimensional aspects of photo etch. Uh, he's got a beef with uh, anti-aircraft guns in one three-fiftieth scale, and then railings on one seventy-second scale submarines because it's all two-dimensional. It's all flat. Yep. You got to pile a lot of paint on it to get it to look around. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, we got one more. All right. David Darden from uh, Atlanta, Georgia. He's got a lengthy one here too, but I'm going to cut into it because he's got another uh, modeling mishap tale of woe and a question that might spawn some further discussion in a different episode. But um, where to start? He was building Airfix, the Airfix 172nd scale B17G uh, with an all clad aluminum finish on it. And to. Keep from putting fingerprints on the on the metal finish. He was wearing he was wearing a, a thin cotton glove on his left hand, like the type that coin collectors would use. And at the moment of the accident, he says, "I had had out a post-it note that I planned to squirt a puddle of CA glue onto, and then use a toothpick or something to dab it on the model." The nozzle developed a clog, and like a fool, my right hand squeezed the glue bottle a little too hard. Suddenly, the glue co- the clog gave way, and a great, great spurt of thin CA shot several inches through the air onto my gloved left hand. <laughs> oh, that took a twist. That's not where I thought that one was going. <laughs> it, tur- it turns out that when CA gets aerated and then lands on an open weave material with lots of surface area and wicking, no zip kicker is needed to get an instant cure. As soon as the oxygenated CA soaked through the glove to my skin, it dried instantly, producing the same intense burn of heat that you described on the podcast. As a bonus, it also glued several spots of the glove quite firmly to my skin. The temptation to rip off the burning hot glove was pretty strong, but I was deterred by the fear of just tearing away chunks of my own hand. (laughs) Eventually, I was able to soak the glue. Eventually, I was able to soak the glued areas with enough CAD bonder to get it off. But as in your mishap, that's your mishap, Dave. Yeah, that is. I took a few raised blisters away as souvenirs for, <laughs> for anyone, for anyone considering those cotton gloves, they are not safety compatible with CA. 
I I have to tell you, uh, congratulations. That has made it into Dave's top five modeling disaster stories. That one's great. Uh, uh, thank you for letting me laugh at your pain. You thought he's going to glue his model to his hand, didn't you? No, I thought we were going somewhere different. Those cotton gloves, while they are great for handling a delicately finished model, they're not like rubber gloves in that they're slippery. And if you are not careful and you're holding something in a cotton-gloved hand and you don't maintain the proper grip, Next thing you know, it goes sliding out of that uh, gloved hand, uh, crashing onto wherever it lands. But uh, that was a much better story. I, 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 I love that one. Thank you. <laughs> now, his question kind of involves paint color uh, and the two schools of thought being, you know, paints mixed to match DOD or R- RLM, federal standard ministry of defense or whatever. And then the, the, the avant-garde stuff where they're kind of taking the scale effect into it. Uh, D- David, um, I'm going to hang on to that question for a while. That's, that's a, a very good question. And I think we might devote a little more time to it at a different time. So I'm going to yep. stop with listener mail there. All so right. folks send us more, send us more listener mail. It's fun. Yeah. Send me more disaster stories. That was great. Uh, and uh, let me tell you, Mike, the English pale ale from uh, Fall City is, is pretty decent beer. I'd drink another one. Well, you save me one. I'll be there on the 4th of July. You can. Uh, I, will, I will have one for you. Now, this is the time when the episode where I remind everybody who's listening, if you wouldn't mind taking a minute when you're done with listening to this episode to go into whatever podcast app you're using and rate the episode please give it five stars help us drive the visibility of the podcast up in whatever podcast service you're using so more people will see it and we'll get more great stories like somebody super gluing a cotton glove to their hand so please do us that favor we'd appreciate it and likewise, I'm going to work something in new here that I've been tacking into the intro or other times in the podcast. I just want to encourage everyone to continue listening to our podcast, obviously. But in addition, please check out Scale Model Podcast with Stuart and Anthony out of out of Canada. From those guys, they're up to episode 49, and their latest episode is part two of their interview with Lincoln Wright. Now, I don't know if you know who Lincoln Wright is. He's a a very renowned modeler in the machining Krieger and Gunpla kind of genre. And he's just a really, really interesting guy. He's one of the, uh, probably one of the only non-Japanese to work in that industry. You know, those guys have rolled up on episode 50 here. I wonder if we'll get invited to their golden Jubilee. That would be a great thing to do. I'd love that. And also, please have a listen to On the Bench with Davian and Julian out of Australia. Uh, They're up to episode 87. And this latest episode, the guys have a discussion on what kit they would develop if they were given the startup cash, which is kind of interesting discussion. However, the best part of the episode is when Dave is trying to give Julian one of his spare rocket kits. That's all I'm going to say. Just check it out. It's, it's fantastic. I, I can't praise the On the Bench guys highly enough. The last couple episodes where all of the breaking news around Wingnut Wings, they were, they were doing actual model reporting 
and uh, it's it's some good stuff. Um, uh, I love their segment on you know what what would you kit if you if you had the kind of money to start a a model company. Uh, Jim Bates and I have joked around on that uh, on a couple of occasions and said our first kit would be X, our second kit would be Y, and our third kit would be bankruptcy <laughs> because you know you make what you you there's a tendency to make what you want or you've always wanted to see rather than what might be commercially successful. Although I like some of the ideas the guys had on, on that last episode, I think Australian muscle cars is a is a great idea. So, everybody, check check those guys out. We've had some uh, selfless cro- cross promotion between the three of us, and had a good time. and And I encourage everybody to listen to everybody else's stuff. Absolutely. So, Mike. Uh, uh, as if the world didn't know from the numerous posts on our Facebook page, uh, what's your modeling benchtop been like? It's been busy. And it looks after like- a couple of weeks of uh, meager progress, I can say that the primary construction on my catapult, my Japanese Navy catapult, is done. And I'm really, really, really well- pleased with the way it's coming together. It looks great. Well, thank you. It's ready. It's ready for primer. Uh, in, in building this kit now, it's somebody out there probably doesn't know yet, but it's, it's the Fujimi kit of the E16 A1 Paul with, with the catapult included. And I've kind of wanted to get into seaplanes and catapults from a long time interest, but no modeling along those lines. And I thought the plastic kit would be the best way to start. And it probably still is not the catapults together. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but with that kit, there's kind of been three concerns for the painting and the cabling. Um, the kit on Hasegawa makes a similar catapult and theirs is made to be cabled and they provide cabling instructions for it. The Fujimi kit is not, it was not meant to be cabled. It's just meant to be a representative model without a cable on it for the, for the catapult. And, what that means is that, like a lot of the smaller pulleys are, are solid, kind of like the, the front gear on your, your airfix MIG. Yeah. And so you got to drill all those out to get a place to pass the cable through them. And they're tiny too. So that's not very fun. And then there's some gears or excuse me, some pulleys that are single piece that are a little bit bigger. Well, no, some of them are small, some of them are larger, but they're molded as one piece and not only do they not have a groove for the cable in them, they're molded with a draft angle on them. So, and what I mean by that is it's, a, it's like a thin wafer disc, right? But the diameter on one side is a little bit smaller than diameter on the other. And it's actually, it's, it's, a, it's a shallow cone shape. It's not really a cylinder. And that's so they can get it, that's so they can right. get it out of the tooling. All, all, all your parts in your model kits are, are like that if they're not using slide molding. Um, that's just the way you do it. So when you're cabling it, the cable has a tendency to slip off the thing all the time. So um, I got to keep that in mind, but I did a dry run and it, it's, it's going to work out. Uh, it's it's going to be fine. Um, another issue was that it can't easily, it can't be cabled easily when it's fully assembled. So you got to do something 
in the assembly to allow you to cable it as you're going along. But then it also can't be painted very well, especially the inner portions and the firing me mechanism aren't going to be able to be easily painted if the thing's completely assembled. So after scratching my head for a couple of weeks on how to go about it, I kind of deviated from the assembly sequence and I built it up with the, the top and the bottom and the ends and then one of the sides and left one side completely off of it. And now I can just, I can cable the firing mechanism or I can paint it actually cable it and then paint the other pieces right. and then, and then just put it all together in the end and finish the cabling once it's all painted and it'll all just fall together at that point. So I, I'm really pleased with the way after I thought through that, how it would go together. Cause if you, if you build it like the kit tells you to build it and you want to cable it, you're in for a, a problem in the end. It's not going to be able to, not going to be able to cable it. Um, in addition to that, uh, I'm still waiting on these seat belts from BNA model world. They haven't shown up yet. So I'm trying to get all the assembly I can get done while I'm waiting on this. So now that the catapult is finished, I can't really marry the fuselage halves together yet. So that's kind of on hold. Uh, the floats for the, for the aircraft and the engine cowling are, are the next things to go together. And then we talked about this the other night. Uh, I really want to, to fix the solid molded dive brakes. Now this, the E16 had dive brakes integrated into the, the forward struts of the pontoons or the floats kind of a really novel idea. And yeah. they've got some heavy perforations and slots in them. Well, they're solid molded in the kit. And I don't know. I think that'd be one thing I could do. And you're right. I could, I can't help myself. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mike and I'm an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how that goes. You're, you're bound to see that on Facebook. If I figure out how to fix, fix those things. So. You'll do it. I have confidence. Other than that, not much else. Um, I need to finish something before you do. I will. I will. Yeah, I will well, say uh, that. I, well, you're in trouble on that that score. That's what I hear. What's going on? Well, uh, as everyone knows, uh, I finished the MIG the last episode about two weeks ago, and uh, uh, despite promising I'd get uh, beauty shots up of it, I've got a couple of quick ones with my cell phone, but I haven't taken formal studio uh, uh, light box photos of it. Uh, but since that's moved into the finished uh, column, and I'm now up two to one, uh, the uh, special Navy Bibber German midget sub, which has been sitting in primer and uh, uh, kind of stalled because I didn't want to spray any metallics or other stuff uh, while I was uh, finishing up that uh, the MIG. Uh, I've now started uh, painting the Bibber and it is actually uh, pretty far along I suspect that within the next seven days, uh, the bibber is going to have all its basic paint on it, and then we're going to get into weathering and uh, stuff like that. So it is easily possible that in the next 20 to 30 days, I'll have a third kit finished for the oh, year. No. Take that. What's your, per what's your personal best? A five. Oh, man. In 1996, I finished five models in one year. 
that's my personal best. And uh, one of these days when we're together drinking a beer, I'll tell you how I uh, remember that. Now, you've gotten your revenge a little bit on me because uh, the item that's on the construction side of my bench is this Trumpeter M30 uh, Soviet field gun, which, frankly, I thought would be a lot easier and a lot fewer parts than it is. Um, uh, This sucker's kind of complex, and uh, I'm particularly feeling handicapped in that this isn't my area of expertise. And so I'm looking at all these parts and glue here, glue there, and I'm not exactly sure what some of them are. I mean, some of them I can figure out. Um, Other ones I'm not so sure about. Uh, uh, But I will say I'm enjoying it. It's it's more complex construction. Um, uh, I think I'm going to enjoy, once I get it all together, painting it and trying out some of the weathering techniques. Um, One thing I've found in myself is that uh, I think I've got a hesitation to weather things to the level that I want to want to try and weather them. And so I'm hoping this gives me kind of uh, uh, a little bit of a license to go a little bit nuts and try some of that stuff out. So uh, I got to say, my production my production line is actually moving along quite well, and it is not outside the realm of possibility that I'll finish five or maybe even on the outside edge, maybe six for this year, which would be... Ooh, that's a bold statement. Yeah, which would mark my uh, modeling mojo's return, especially since uh, I'm not going to get to go to the IPMS Nationals this year. Of course, no one is since it's been canceled because of the COVID. So in theory, that'll give me another week that uh, I normally would be out of out of home and out of pocket and uh, be able to devote some modeling time to. Well, the M30 must be tough because a little bird told me you brought the wheels over to the workshop and worked on them for 45 minutes. I did. Uh, those are the Hussar wheels, and uh, uh, I got them. I got them done. In fact, they're ready to prime. That's one of the things that I'm going to do here soon is uh, prime those wheels. Uh, now, I did make an executive decision, which is that the only difference between the uh, M30 early and the M30 late wheels is a different tread tire and tread pattern, and uh, Frankly, I took a look at both of them. Hussar gives you both sets of, of wheels, both tread patterns in their, in their set for the M30. And uh, I took a look at both of them. I like the tread pattern better on the late wheels, so I'm going to use the, the late wheels on the, uh, on the early M30. I figure I can, I can more than justify doing that. Well, I hope to see that one finish soon as well. Yeah. You and me both. All right. Well, if, is that all you got? It's a lot. That's all. That's that's where we are. Well, since we've hit upon our favorites and not so favorite kit announcements, it's, it's time for that that segment again. Uh, all right. Wh- what have you seen in the last month or so that uh, picks your interest or not? Well, number one, and this is just. This should be out very, very soon. Is the uh, Azure 
is doing a, a or special hobby, I guess, um, is doing the B10 slash WH2. It's the 19, late 1930s US B-10 bomber, uh, was also sold to the Dutch, uh, was used in the very early days of World War II. Uh, the Chinese also had some. And this has been a kit that uh, people have wanted for a long while. There was a Williams Brothers B-10 uh, that's very probably 50 years old plus and uh, a bear to build uh, but this one is uh, looking good it's right on the cusp of being released and it's been high on my list of wanting for a long time so i'm really looking forward to that how about you well before we get on to mine are, are, do you fancy doing a uh, a yellowing one a blue and yellow one or a olive drab and yellow one or a dutch one well, number one is a Dutch one, uh, because one of my big areas of interest is the Netherlands, East Indies, and Burma, and Singapore uh, in early World War II. So that's, the Dutch one will be the first one. Um, the There were a couple of B-10s in the Philippines that were all over aluminum. The paint had been stripped off them, and they were all over aluminum. And they were, a couple of them were actually delivered to the Philippine Air Force, which was a fledgling air force that was being built up in anticipation of the Philippines becoming an independent country. Um, unfortunately, while there are pictures of uh, uh, P-26s that were transferred to the Philippine Air Force and put in Philippine markings, there are no pictures of any, at least that anybody has found, of uh, any B-10s with the Philippine diamond on them. Uh, but uh, I would love to build one just as a, uh, we know the Philippine, the, the, a couple were transferred to the Philippines uh, Air Force, and I'd, I'd, I'd love to build one and mark it that way, even though I, I've got no photograph to back it up. So, uh What's something that uh, that you've been anticipating? Uh, I think it's the year of the T-34. It, it does seem that way. Uh, Ryefield is going to be offering a T-3485 from Factory 174. Now, there's already one of these out there. This is what the AFV Club kit represents, but I'm not sure. I, I don't have that kit. Uh it's a late war, like in the last five or six months of World War II, this this version was fielded. And the big difference is the turret shape is a little different. It's, it's got a wider, kind of wider around the middle than uh, the 112 T-34s. And I don't know. I'll, I'll probably end up with this one. Does that one have an interior? I do not think it does. The FV Club one does, but I don't think this one does. Yeah. Gotcha. Which is fine by me, because... Sure. It's got three hatches. What else you got? Anything else? One of the one of the things that uh, uh, I've been looking forward to that uh, has just arrived is uh, uh, AZ Models uh, released a series of P thirty six Hawk seventy five kits, and sticking with the uh, uh, the Netherlands East Indies Burma theme. Uh, 
they've just released the Dutch version, uh, the Netherlands East Indies version of the P-36, uh, the, which saw, saw a fair amount of combat uh, against the Japanese there in, in late 41, early 42. Uh, and uh, I just, thanks, uh, courtesy of Jim Bates, I just got my hands on, on one. And uh, uh, while it's not up to armor or clear prop standards, it looks eminently buildable. And uh, given that I've wanted to have one of those on my uh, in my collection for a long time, that one that one appeals to me. It's uh, the the list of what's next when these current things get off my bench is growing, uh, and I may ultimately have to put a poll up on our Facebook page and let the let the listeners help me decide what the next couple of things are after the current crop moves off the bench. Uh, it won't be long. Yeah. I think so. So, how about you? You know, I think it's been a slow couple of weeks. I didn't, I didn't see much else that got my juices going. Well, that does seem like the announcements slow down in the summer. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. But I got my yawner. Oh well, give me your yawner. <laughs> then I'll give you mine. Uh, Hobby Boss has released a three point seven centimeter pack thirty five thirty six Alpha Panzerkampfwagen thirty five R. Hobby bosses, hobby bosses do for something really cool. Unfortunately, this isn't it. Um, <laughs> this is the same panned R35 kit with the gratuitous photo etch we mentioned in the last episode, or I did. Uh, gotcha. I, I referenced the Terry Ashley uh, review on Perth Military Modeling Site and you know, I don't know. I don't know why they even bothered with this one. I guess you could cross kit it with the Tamiya R35 and do something kind of cool, but it's a little pea shooter on a R35 with no turret is basically what it is. Given the Tamiya, doesn't Tamiya have that same gun available too? Yes, but it's got a really modified shield on it for the okay. self-propelled. So, well, Tamiya's kit's... Because I was wondering if Tamiya might do the the same thing and take and and take their R thirty five, which is reportedly a really great kit, and and bash something like this together. I, I don't know. You know, Tamiya's Pack thirty six is like from the seventies vintage. I mean, there's a lot better. There's a lot yeah. better ones out there now. There's a couple. There's a Dragon one, and I think there's a uh, one of those more obscure Hong Kong makers rich or somebody like that makes one as well i can't remember who i actually built that to me a pack 36 i actually built that in 1996 that was one of the five kits that uh i finished in that year so i, I don't know that that one's that was not too exciting for me that one makes me yawn so that's that's my yawner what about you well, um, AMG, which is a company that did something really good when they released a series of early ME109s, the A through D, which which 72nd scale modelers have been wanting a good kit of uh, for quite a while. Uh, they've announced a Russian and German ball tank. Now, if, if you ever watched uh, uh, Night Shift's YouTube channel, one of the first things that he did was he did a 35th scale, one of these 
sci-fi steampunk ball tank things. And uh, uh, AMG has now released one, or has announced they're releasing one in 72nd scale, both as a German and as a Russian ball tank. Now, is it the same vehicle, the fantasy one, or is it the actual real one? I, you know, I do not know if BT-102 spheroid, uh, I do not know if that's, uh, if that's the thing that they actually did or if that's the, uh, a fantasy jacked up version of it, but it just, uh, I got, I got nothing to give t- to that. It just no interest whatsoever did you you said amg right amg right where are they from uh i think they're out of the ukraine but i could be wrong i think that's right i've I've got a i've got a kit of a soviet aerosan you know the propeller driven ski vehicles that that i picked up from them and it's not a bad little kit so no their 109s are really nice but i just it just Maybe there's somebody out there who's been waiting for this kit all their life in 72nd scale. And if so, more power to you. But mm, 70, 70, no, it's like the size of a freaking marble. I mean, how big is it? I would think it's about the size of a quarter would be my bet. <laughs> maybe smaller than a quarter. Uh, maybe a ping pong ball. Exactly. Well, tonight... We have chosen as our special segment a, a, a subject we've hinted at for quite a while now, and YouTube for the scale modeler. Now, YouTube is just an incredible resource for all kinds of stuff, not just modeling related. I I, I go down music rabbit holes at night sometimes and don't come out for hours past my preferred bedtime, but <laughs> a lot of fun stuff. But for our hobby, uh, Dave and I have pick some of our favorites or we're going to talk about those a little bit and have a go at it. I'll let you start. All right. Well, I just mentioned uh, night shift. Uh, that's actually the first YouTube channel that I ever got into in any serious way. There's a, a, a man named Martin Kovac who r- runs a, he's known by the nickname uncle night shift. Uh, runs a YouTube channel called Night Shift. That's Night Space Shift. Uh, he's somewhere in uh, Czech Republic, Slovakia, somewhere in there. He's Central European. And he does some of the best modeling instructional videos on YouTube. Now, He's uh, strictly armor, uh, and in fact, that's a that's a subject I'll mention. It seems like uh, YouTube has a lot more really good armor channels than they do aircraft channels. But uh, uh, his quality of production is fantastic. Uh, his instruction and the clearness of what he's doing and how he's doing it and how he's showing you how you can do it, fantastic. Um, I don't know that I'm brave enough to try some of the things he does, but, uh, uh, after I watched his 72nd scale, uh, build of a trumpeter char B, uh, I went out and got one because I'd like to attempt what he's done. Um, 
it's very inspirational as being as well as being very educational. So I'd love to sit down to talk to the guy because his production values are incredible. And uh, that's a that's a big plus when it comes to uh, instructional YouTube uh, YouTube videos. So uh, I highly recommend it. That's probably the channel that I rec YouTube channel that I recommend above all others if you got to pick just one so well he's uh, a he's a funny guy and i'm a big fan as well and yeah you're right highly recommend night shift what always struck me is is how how good is his grasp of of the english language is yeah um, I, I would love to interview him if you're out there listening please please reach out. We want to interview. And that's one of the things I want to ask him is where did he pick up the American idiomatic English? Cause he's really good at it. Sure makes Fridays enjoyable. It does. <laughs> well, so, uh, what's one of yours? Uh, my first one is a scale model workshop from Paul Budzik. Mine aren't in any particular order of favoritism, but that's that's the one I've I got up at the top of the list. Uh, Paul Budzik was a frequent and popular contributor to Fine Scale Modeler magazine back in the '80s and maybe into the early '90s, and from which I became a big fan of his work, um, just because he approaches a lot of things the same way I do. Uh, he's a dentist and. My father was also a dentist, so Paul was using a lot of these materials and techniques that were kind of unorthodox to most people, but they were accessible to me when I was modeling back in those years because I, I could go down to my dad's dentist's office and get acrylic resin powder or use, the, use his vacuform machine and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah he's he's a really interesting guy because he's very very focused on construction and technique and he, he does tend to take kind of the rolls-royce approach to everything as far as what tools he's using and and that sort of thing but <laughs> a lot of what he does is a little enigmatic because he's got a, he's got a series out there he's, he's working through uh the a20 havoc I guess he's using the old, the old yeah. monogram kit. And he, for example, he's completely rebuilding the, the skate ring in the rear gunner's position, machining it out of brass. Incredible piece of work, right? Yeah. And then by his own admission, when he's done, he's going to hang the, hang the model from the ceiling. <laughs> He'll know. It's He'll know there. it's there. But if you really want, some in-depth look at technique and different types of tools and, and that sort of thing. And, and some, some very uh, kind of old school approaches to, to modeling situations. I really recommend his videos. Uh, he does a really good job. He, he does a really good job at everything he touches. I'm sure. Uh, I think that's kind of in yeah. his personality and he's kind of from an era of, of fine scale modeler that uh, has gone away in my opinion, but yeah, yeah, I used to really, really like his articles, and I've really enjoyed his video. He doesn't have a lot of content, but what's out there is really worth checking out. You familiar with it? 
No, oh, yeah, absolutely, and you're correct. You you can see that 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 detail mindset that uh, uh, you know uh, he he views things like you do as an engineering challenge. How am I going to make this and and correct this or do it like even if it's something that's ultimately going to end up being hidden? <laughs> what else you got? plenty of youtube channels well let, yeah let gosh yes well let me move into the the uh manufacturer area uh one of the things that youtube is fantastic for is allowing hobby manufacturers to to hawk their wares in order to you know say here's our latest kit and this is why it's so cool and all um, this is particularly true with the hobby manufacturers who make um, uh, materials, weathering materials, paints, stuff like that. And here I want to give a shout out to both, um, well, all three, to AK, to Ammo by MIG, and to Vallejo Colors. Uh, all three have really good YouTube channels. Um, as I told you on a previous episode, uh, I got the AK color watercolor weathering pencils uh, and was used them on the MIG. It's the first time I've ever used them. I really would have had no clue the different techniques you could use and the different effects you could get. Um, you know, back in the old day, whenever there was something new, you either got it because somebody in the club used it and they could put on a demonstration at the club meeting and that's how you learned. Uh, or, you know, you might read an article in a magazine, but that's really, you know, that it doesn't have the same power as video does to demonstrate uh, how you use things. But uh, I got these AK weathering pencils and went on YouTube, went on AK's uh, YouTube channel and there was a great 20-minute video on here's here's the different ways you can use them. Here's the different techniques. Here's the here's how you do it. Here's how you can fix it if you do something that you don't like. Uh, gives you a lot of confidence to try something. And I do not understand why, why more of the hobby suppliers uh, – don't uh, don't do more as far as the YouTube uh, method because again it's a way to greet it's a way to reach a big audience. If you take a look, I was mentioning night shift. You take a look, a night shift video will have sixty five thousand views, and you know that's a heck of an audience reach. And uh, you know these manufacturers, if you're a manufacturer out there and you don't have a YouTube channel demonstrating your products and hawking your new stuff, I think you're missing out big time. So I recommend all three of those channels, AK, Ammo by MIG, and Vallejo Colors. All of them are good channels. And I usually check those out when I buy something new that I've not tried or, exactly. or seen, it, you know, seen it in the press or, or whatever. Um, like that... Uh... That Vallejo, the terrain material, the, the acrylic 
terrain yep. material. That's, that's exactly the right. first thing I did was go to their YouTube page and see what they were doing with it or how, how they recommended to use it and just went from there. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Well, my next one's on our both our list, I think, so we can talk this one to death. It's it's Plasmo. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Plasmo Channel is uh, modeler uh, David Dambic, and I have a friend from one of my other hobbies named Merrick Dambic, who's Polish, so I suspect uh, Plasmo might be based out of Poland. Maybe. Possibly. Yeah, I would think um, so. I really, really enjoy his channel. Um, just because he's he's fearless. At least he comes across that way yes. in the videos. He just just goes for it. Um, we were talking the we were talking yeah. the other day uh, that that F eighteen Super Hornet. Did you ever go watch that? Yeah. Yes. Just he just, just cuts it to pieces because he wanted to do a folded wing drop flap model and just. Literally yep. saws it into freaking 20 pieces. And then he goes on to cast the, the parts he makes to f- put it all back together. But that's a whole nother video. But the fact that he just went for it was, was impressive. Uh, he's also got some really nice small scale dioramas. Yes, absolutely. It's one of my favorite things of his is the, is the 72nd scale diorama. And he's all over the genre spectrum. He's got aircraft, he's got armor, he's got, uh, he's built one of those, you know, parallel universe, German walking machine kind of deals in a diorama. Um, he's got a lot of videos. I don't know. I think there's some cars and motorcycles out there. He's done. What else, what else uh, makes him be on your list? I'm just, I, again, it just, it's a, it's a joy to watch. Um, uh, I think a lot of modelers, uh, or at least, some modelers are like myself in that, you know, we build slow and therefore we build timid because when you're building slow, you're putting, you know, so much, not necessarily so much time into the actual model, but it's taken you six months to get to that point And therefore you're afraid to, to do something wild or unusual. Um, he just, entertaining as all get out, uh, very productive, uh, cross genres. Again, as I mentioned earlier, one of the things I've noticed about YouTube is there's a lot more armor, or it seems like to me, there's a lot more great armor content than there is aircraft. And his is one of those ones where, uh, because he does all across the spectrum, you can get some really good aircraft stuff. So I love I, I love it. I watch the stuff whenever it comes out. Now another thing I like about him, or I've noticed about him, he's he's very cost conscious. He he mentions this in a lot of his videos, and he uses a lot of homemade tools. And he's not heavily vested into a lot of these uh, kind of avant garde weathering products. He kind of uses a few yeah. tube oils and some Tamiya Paneline Accenter, and just goes to town and. In fact, I just watched one a couple of days ago where he makes his own PE bending tool out of a metal ruler. Well, he's kind of the anti-Budzik. I, I think that's a good way to describe it. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. Paul would uh, buy four uh, PE benders and throw three of them away and yeah. use, use the best one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what's next from you? Well, uh, this one's uh, this one makes a point. 
there's a naval historiographer who goes by the name of Drachinefeld. That's D-R-A-C-H-I-N-I-F-E-L. And he's he's British, you can tell from the accent. And he's he's a naval history guy. And it's not a modeling channel, but it is a really, really good channel. He, he goes through, he, he does some videos where he describes a battle or, uh, a, you know, a ship development or stuff like that. He does another, other videos where he talks about particular countries, developments of particular classes of ship. Then he does videos just on a single ship in in detail over the life of its development and use. Um, and the point I'm making from this channel is, and I'm not a ship modeler, but I love watching his stuff. It's extremely entertaining. Um, but part of the point of this bringing up this particular channel is that YouTube isn't just limited to modeling instructional videos for the modeler. There is stuff out there for research, for, um, uh, for modelers doing, uh, you know, looking for photos, for details, for stuff like that. Um, the Japanese have now uh, the, what was it? The, I forget the name of the, the media company that did all of the Japanese newsreels during World War II. And those uh, newsreels are now all being put up on YouTube. And so there is a ton of propaganda videos and newsreel videos of, you know, of, of actual wartime film of diff different Japanese aircraft or armor or soldiers or, or Navy or whatever. In fact, uh, just recently in going through their archives and doing this, um, they discovered film of the first flight of a Japanese prototype aircraft. I think it was the, the is either the KI-60 or the, K no, it's the KI-78. That no known film of that aircraft ever flying existed. And one of these newsreels they had that they came across and posted on YouTube is the first ever film of that airplane during its its first flight. Uh, so, you know, YouTube is a whole lot more than just modeling videos. There's lots of modeling videos out there, but there's a lot of research. And, uh, uh, you know, you can, you can get lost in YouTube just going from place to place, uh, especially since the algorithm, once you start looking at stuff, recommends other similar stuff and will, will really lead you down a rabbit hole, uh, if you're not paying attention, you can eat up a lot of time. But uh, yeah, I like Drakina Fell's channel. I can I can watch those all day long. They're really entertaining. Well, back to modeling videos and armor at that. Panzermeister 36. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is the YouTube handle for a young man named Evan McCallum. Uh, he's, a again, a young but very prolific modeler. Uh, he's actually been at this about six years at this point so he's been in a long time for a youtube channel 
Yeah, he started, I think, in high school. Well, I, I've got a note here. He's he's literally grown he's literally grown up on YouTube. I mean, voice chains and all. It's like a, a child actor on a, on, a, on a sitcom, right? They just they grow up and grow yeah. up in front of your eyes over the years. You just don't realize yeah. it. But uh, he has a very similar background to me. He's an armor modeler, and he's got a railroad interest as well. And then he has a strong interest in like Sturmgeschütz threes and T thirty fours. It's kind of uncanny, really. Um, most of his videos are finishing techniques along that vein, uh, but he's getting better and better and better. And we're actually trying to get him on the show. So Evan, if you're listening, offer still stands. (laughs) He had a a video recently about weathering, uh, olive drab. He's, he's a Sherman he's building. And, and I messaged him via his Facebook page related to his channel that, I thought it was one of his best videos yet because it was very succinct, uh, very digestible amount of content. And he had all these pop-up graphics with his paint formulations in it, et cetera. And just was, yeah. he's getting really good at it. And I'm just curious to talk to him. I liked his whitewash technique. He did a whitewash on a rush piece of Russian armor. And I thought that video was particularly nice on, uh, uh, doing a whitewash. So yeah, no, I, I watch a lot of his stuff, even though I'm, I'm not generally an armor guy. Uh, these young guys are like tech savvy and stuff, I guess. <laughs> they yeah. can whip this stuff out in short order. It'd probably take me forever to get it set up. Right. Got any more? Yeah. Um, there's another one called MM scale models. And I forget the guy's name is both his first and last name began with an M. Uh, sorry about that if you're out there listening. And he does a really nice uh, YouTube channel. Um, again, he does uh, a lot of aircraft, and I appreciate that because, again, I don't, I don't find as many good aircraft YouTube channels as, uh, as armor YouTube channels. So uh, his are really nice, and you get a build of a particular item beginning to end as well as some technique stuff. Uh, uh, just another one of those channels that I really enjoy watching. So how about you? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple more. Um, I kind of like watching Will Patterson's videos. Yeah. Will is a, well, first off, he's another mechanical engineer. So there's a perspective there that I can kind of connect to. His videos can be long, but they're really informative and really get to the meat of whatever subject he's attempting to tackle um the content is no nonsense there's not any of this rah-rah fanboy crap from him in kit reviews or any of that it's all it's all cut and dry and by the time you're done watching one of his videos you you know a lot about what what you're after well you know that that brings up an interesting uh, an interesting uh question what do you think is the right length for most YouTube videos? Do you like one long beginning to end video or do you prefer something that is like 20 minutes or 25 minutes? And then if they're doing a particular item, you get as many episodes as needed to finish the item. I don't think that's easy to answer because I think it's content specific. I mean, I don't want to sit through some suck ass movie for two and a half hours. Right. <laughs> right. So, uh, and if the content's good, I can, I can watch, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. 
it's it's got to be the, the content has to be good and i got to learn i got i got to learn something absolutely no question i tend to prefer the uh the 20 minute episodic kind just simply from the standpoint that it's hard for me to block out an hour or an hour and a half to watch a YouTube video. And I think the starting and stopping of the single video as opposed to the episode, uh, I tend to lose the thread a little bit. So I tend to like more 20 to 30 minute uh, episodic style. But, uh, you know, that may just be a matter of taste. Well, Plasmo and Night Shift are both kind of 30 minutes or less kind of Right. kind of format and yeah. they pack a lot in. And, yep. And again, that's, I think the, why they're two of my favorite channels. Probably have to edit the crap out of it to get it down to that kind of time slot, but I don't know. Maybe that's the magic number. I don't know. I would love to talk to either of those guys about how they go about the production and editing. Cause I, I suspect that somebody like night shift to put together a 20 or 25 minute video is putting in 15 to 20 hours of work between the modeling and then the editing of the raw content and then the, the polishing. Well, I hope he's getting paid well then. I, I hope so too. Well, his Patreon seems to be pretty successful. Oh, good. So you got another one? Yeah. Uh, guy named Shane Smith, S-M-Y-T-H, Scale Models, um, does, let's see, he started about, God, he's got videos going back five, God, six years, oh, that's even farther. Lord knows, this guy's been doing it a while, at least six years. Looks like his oldest video is, uh, is six years old. Um, and again, mostly, but not all armor does a lot of tutorial videos, you know, how to paint U.S. tank crewmen, how to paint oak leaf uh, autumn camouflage pattern. Um, uh, then he's also got some build videos, uh, you know, of uh, uh, the M4A3 or, or something like that. He's got a few aircraft in there. It's mostly armor. Um, good videos, good quality. Uh, uh, one of the things, again, reaching back to talk about Night Shift again, because he's he's the guy I compare almost everybody else to in this in this regard, is constant production of content. Night Shift drops a new video every Friday at noon Eastern Standard Time, which is apparently like 6 o'clock Friday night where he lives. Um, and you know that weekend, week out, every Friday I'm going to get a night shift video, and it's to the point where I look forward to them. Um, what I hate to see is these YouTube channels who you get you know, three videos a week apart and then, then nothing for six months. And that's that's a shame. It doesn't mean you can't get good content from them. It just, it, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And Shane Smith is like Night Shift in that he drops a video 
uh, about every week or two. So another one I recommend. So how about you? I've got one more. It's Terranscapes by Michael Tyskus. Unfortunately, his video production ceased last year, but he has been at it up until that point for 11 years. That's a long time. Um, well, now what's, the, what's the name of that? Channel? Terranscapes, T-E-R-R-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-S. Okay. Now it's, it's a lot of good t- content, especially for the small scale models. Cause I, he, he's coming at the hobby from a kind of war gaming, Warhammer fantasy gaming kind of perspective. But yeah. he's it's mostly terrain modeling in in smaller scales like that, and he's got some got some neat videos. And it's it, what what I enjoy about his stuff is that it's neat to see somebody coming trying to do something that I might try to do, but coming at it not as like from an armor modeling or plastic scale modeling perspective, but from this other genre, hobby genre, and it's not always this you may get close to the same result, but the, the path to get there might be different. And, and he's got a lot of that and he does a lot of nice work. He's not making any more videos, but he's got, he's got 11 years worth out there that he plans on keeping active. Now I have to confess our own modeling fluids segment owes at least some credit to his cocktails and comments installments. Every so often he would put out a video where he went through a cocktail recipe and then commented on, uh, sometimes it was a listener question or maybe some aspect of what he was working on at that present time. But uh, we'd, we've had this running joke with modeling food for a long time. But when I saw this incorporated in his videos, I thought, you know, that's not a bad idea. Maybe we should do something like that, too. <laughs> well, and I thought we stole stole it from a uh, or at least I stole that that same idea from a uh, uh, a podcast I listened to. It used to be called the subs, the weekly substandard but it's now called the sub beacon. And uh, when they first started out, they used to, they used to uh, uh, have a, a, a drink review in, with every episode. So maybe we stole it from two places. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Have you got any more? Well, I got one last one for you. All right. Uh, and this one's a little, this one's a little different. Uh, uh, listeners have heard me mention Jim Bates before, uh, uh, a fellow attorney who lives out in Tacoma, Washington, who uh, is also a modeler. Uh, Jim's doing a YouTube uh, YouTube channel, and he's doing something a little different. It's not an instructional video set of instructional videos. It's really more like a, a vlog, a video blog where he does little 10-minute segments and talks about what he's been working on, what he's been experiencing working on stuff, what what mood the, the particular kid or what he's been in the mood to build, things like that. And, and in talking to him about it, uh, he really started doing this kind of to help motivate him. Uh, you know, to get his mojo back, as it were, to 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 hold himself accountable for progress. And like I said, it's different. They're about ten minutes long, eight to ten minutes long. Um, you get to see whatever he's been working on. They're very raw. He doesn't edit them at all, at least at this point. Although I'm trying to encourage him to. 
to up the up the uh, production values, but it's it's a different approach to a YouTube channel related to modeling and one that, uh, uh, frankly, I think has some promise. If you're out there and you're listening, and you have trouble, mo you know you go through long dry spells or something like that, or you you find yourself building and then losing motivation. Maybe you might want to consider trying this. I mean. Uh, you know, recording a YouTube video isn't really very hard now that we all have these cell phones. Um, if 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 you're you're having trouble getting your mojo motivated, maybe this would be a way to do it. Uh, go to YouTube and take a look at. Uh, he calls it a scale Canadian TV. That's all one word. A scale Canadian TV. Go take a look and see see what you think. All right. Well. We've mentioned a lot here and we'll have to put links to all these in the show notes. And then again on the Facebook page. So other folks can, can view these. If, if anybody yep. else has any favorites we haven't mentioned, send them to us and we'll have a look. Absolutely. And hopefully we won't waste too much time watching videos instead of uh, building models. <laughs> They're complimentary. Uh, watching something for me is not complimentary to uh, actually working at the bench. But there's plenty of time that you want to model, but that you're not at the model bench. You know, if you're sitting there in the, you know, by the pool or you're sitting there in a park or something else, you can pull out your phone and you can watch a video and get some proto modeling in. Notice he didn't mention work. Yeah, well, let's <laughs> see. My employer might listen to this. Hey, only on lunch hour. Man. Okay. Well, I do that. I do. I do watch it lunch hour. So, uh, Mike, do you have any shout outs for the, for the month or the episode? I do have one shout out. Uh, I'm going to shout out, uh, Mr. Stuart Cox, our El Presidente for the Military Modelers Club of Louisville. All right. Um, we've gone back and forth on a couple of platforms, but we're, we have a standing Thursday Web-based meeting is currently using the go-to meetings format, which I think is going to be a good one. It is a good one. He's actually paying for it um, out of pocket. So kudos for that. And it's, it's you know, it's kind of been a little hit with the, with the club members, I think. Uh, I've really enjoyed participating. Um, even though I had a fiasco last week, I had a whole presentation ready, and it was either uh, Xbox plus Netflix plus YouTube robbing all my bandwidth or – I had a little, I had a had a cooling fan issue in my primary laptop, which I've not resolved. So it could could have been processor overheat related, uh, but that's neither here nor there. Um, back to Stuart, he's he's done a remarkable job keeping us all engaged. I think even though we haven't been able to have our regular meetings for a while, and I appreciate that. And it's it's good time. So I think we're gonna have a dry run. I'll try my presentation again Thursday. All right. Well, I'll definitely tune in for that. And I can't I can't say uh, I. I I definitely second your uh, uh, your your shout out to Stu because uh, you know uh, being the president of a model club is a thankless task. It's uh, it's like herding cats. Um, uh, I, the guys at OTB were trying to come up with what's the name for a group of modelers, and Dennis Tennant, the IPMS USA secretary, recommended what I thought was the best. Uh, name for a group of modelers, which is a gripe, <laughs> because frankly, you can't you can't get a group of modelers together without five minutes in somebody griping about something. 
So uh, I know Stu's task is fairly thankless, and he does a really good job uh, uh, and has really made an effort during these uh, these current COVID times of, of keeping the club together and motivated and interested and in providing them content. So uh, I second that shout out. Uh, and, fin- and finally, I'll shout out Fall City Beer for making English-style pale ale. I got to say... Uh, uh, this isn't half bad. It's got me through the episode uh, uh, in fine style. So uh, shout out to the guys at Fall City for resurrecting a uh, a classic name and beer and doing some good stuff with it. And uh, uh, Mike, when you when you come over on the fourth, I'll make sure that uh, I have one available for you. And I think you got a stack of stuff for me. So I better bring you some money. Uh, I do indeed have a stack of stuff for you. <laughs> All right, Dave. Well, we're getting a little long here, so we probably ought to wrap it up. Yep. Yep. You know what they say. They say so many kits, Dave. So little time, Mike. See you next time. See you next time.